invite you to open your Bible with me this evening to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. It's important for us to remember that this is a, um, this is a letter, and so there's a flow to it. Uh, if you have your Bible open, just, um, let's just look back at the beginning here as Peter, uh, just so we catch the flow of the, the context of it, Peter is writing, as you see right there in the beginning, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood. That a call has been placed on these people. They're despised in the world. They don't fit in the world. They're exiles. They're aliens in the world. And yet they are elect of God, loved by God. And and then verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the erection of Jesus Christ. And this whole letter then is is helping these Christians understand how to live in an opposing world uh, in the reality of Jesus Christ. So how to be Christ's people, Jesus' people in uh, an oppressive and lost world. And how to do this, proclaiming the excellencies of God who called them into his light. And so in the, uh, where we are in the letter now is Peter's been talking about submission to authorities uh, in chapter 2, verse 13 and following. Then, then he applies that humble, uh, submissive heart into marriages where uh, wives are to be submissive to their husbands um, as, as something, that, a, a mantle they wear that's beautiful. Uh, men are to be gentle and considerate and loving and kind with their wives and to, to serve their wives in submissive love. And then we come to the body as a whole, and that's where we pick it up in uh, verse 8, and we're going to read through verse 12. First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, we now come to your word. We thank you for our brother, the apostle, who by the inspiration of the Spirit put these words to paper, and and we have them today as the inspired word of God. Uh, Lord, inscribe them on our heart and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If, um, if I were to give you this text this evening and maybe, maybe just um, mail you a letter and all it said was verses 8 and 9, you would find it to be, I think, a, a, a daunting message. Uh, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind, don't repay evil for evil. I think there would, in many of you, there would be uh, something that would protest a bit and say, well... <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm not like that. That's not me. That, I know other people who have those traits. I love them. Uh, I'm so thankful for them. It's great to be married to one of them, but it's not me. Um, Well, it is a daunting text. And uh, there could be a tendency, um, maybe in your heart tonight, to look at this, say this, you know, as as we read this through, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a lot here that's going to be really helpful 
to me, or or uh, it doesn't give a lot of hope to me. If you've had a particular, if you've had a, a hard week uh, wrestling with the flesh, it's been a week where there hasn't been a whole lot of tenderness in your heart, a lot of sympathy, unity of mind's been hard to come by. Um, it, you, you did not do well when uh, people reviled or did something wrong. Um, that, that didn't go well. And so this can just look hard. And we can have a tendency to sort of just settle back and, and um, make up our minds maybe subconsciously. We're just going to endure this sermon. Well, I, I hope you don't do that. I hope you, you sense that God is something good for, uh, for you uh, today. This is not just another list or another uh, task that God puts on you. You know, we, we, have, um, we all know that we need to improve, don't we? And we have this love-hate sort of relationship with, with material that's, in, that's meant to help us. So if, if uh, we need to lose weight, and, and most of us do, uh, you, read a, you see a diet book and you think, you know what, I really ought to read that book. And, and then part of you says, I really do not want to read that book. Or if it's about getting your finances in order or learning how to be organized, whatever the, the area of your life that really could use some work, there's a part of you that would love and you even believe, right, if, if I did everything this book said, I bet I would get the results it promises, but I, I just, I don't really want to read the book. But I want to be better, so we have this, this desire to change, and then we also have this sort of despair that maybe change isn't possible. Well, b- before we jump into the text, um, let me just ask you, if it were possible, isn't isn't this the kind of person you actually would like to be? I mean, if it were possible, and if we could just throw some pixie dust tonight, and, and this could happen to you so that these things characterized your life, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be nice to be tenderhearted? Wouldn't it be nice to have a, a genuinely sympathetic heart that you really did care for people deeply? You delighted in people? Wouldn't it be great to have a feeling of deep brotherly love? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a humble mind that were actually true of you? Because if you think about the people you know that do have these characteristics, aren't they wonderful people? And don't you wish you could be like them? Isn't this what you hope happens to you? I, I, you know, I'm getting older and... and, um, I don't want to be a grumpy, pessimistic old guy. I mean, it's, some guys sort of wear that as a mantle of honor. They just run. I don't want to be that guy. I don't, I don't want to enjoy those guys. There's, 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 nothing, there's no blessings that flow from that sort of a, of, of a behavior. You know, people just make room for you. You're like, you're like um, you know, a blister of some sort of, 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 something stuck in the skin and the body just sort of builds around it. Don't you want to be the guy that, that in the nursing home, people just seem to gather around? I mean, um, the happy old guy? Maybe he's not all there, but he's got a smile on his face. I mean, <laughs> he's thankful. He's gracious. He's patient. That's, that's the guy I want to be. Is that possible? Well, I think it is. And one of the reasons I think it is is because... Peter's writing the letter. That's very encouraging to me. Peter's is just like 
us. He's, he's not an ivy, ivory-towered scholar who's you know, pontificating on um, religious, idealistic, unrealistic sentiments. He's a real guy who's often his own worst enemy. We know Peter. He's rash, he's impulsive, he's proud. He's got a besetting sin of wanting people to like him. So when a little, uh, probably 12, 13-year-old girl says, aren't you with that Galilean? He says, no, never heard of him. Commits a great sin of his life. And when he goes, and there's a, later on, he's a leader of the church, and there's some people in the church called Judaizers who are trying to make everyone obey the laws of Moses. And, and uh, Paul has to rebuke Peter publicly because Peter, he doesn't like to be not liked. He doesn't like to tell people, no, you're wrong. And, and so he wants to be liked, and he ends up in this mess. That's Peter. He's just a real person. But Peter, you see, is this fellow sinner and fellow saint who has a deep confidence in what God can do. He's probably writing in the later years of his life, and he's, he's writing this letter to encourage us to continue to grow in and stand on the grace of God. Peter believes in the grace of God. In chapter 5, verse 12, he summarizes his letter by saying, I've written briefly to you, exhorting you and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And so he wants to encourage us that, that this is what the gospel can do in your life and in my life. Because you see, Peter has this deep sense that to be a Christian is to be a person who has been called by God. We're not Christians because we chose to be. We're not Christians because we just uh, happen to end up in a certain religious tradition. If you are truly a Christian, it is because God has called you. And God has claimed you. And God has made you a part of his body. And God has made you a, a, one of his disciples. That was Peter's experience. And this calling, then, you see, comes to everyone who belongs to Christ. That we are called by God for the purpose of God. We have a mission in the world from the one who called us to live in such a way that our lives declare the excellencies of him who called us. The one who called us out of darkness, the one who called us into his marvelous light, the one who called us, that's who we are to live for. And so believers are to be billboards in the world about the excellencies of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the sovereignty of God, the grace of God. That's what we're here to do. We're here to manifest that, to make it possible for people to believe that as they see what God is able to do with people like us. So how does that happen? How do we do that? Well, we, as we've noted in the letter, Peter makes it clear that, that we become these, these billboards magnifying the grace of God and the, and the excellencies of God. Not first of all, he, Peter doesn't give us a moral list of things to do. He gives us a character list that describes who we are and what we are. It's not first of all a list. First of all, a moral list of duties. He, He'll get to that. He'll talk about how we are to live. But, but, but he starts with who we are by the calling of God, a chosen people, a holy race, a nation that belongs to God, kingdom of priests. That's, 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 that's our identity. And then this character list that defines us, and it, it's, it's about humility. That's the character that, that comes through as he talks about submitting to government and submitting to, to um to our employers, our boss, our masters, even if they're unjust, and, and submitting to husbands, even if they're unsaved. 
We have this, this spirit of humility so that husbands serve their wives in love and kindness and grace. And that humility, rooted in our identity with Jesus Christ, that humility now is to pervade and to define the character of the church. Finally, all of you. Every one of you. And he gives us then five characters of a Christian life. One-mindedness, sympathy, brotherly love, tender hearts, and humble minds. And so let's just take the time tonight and let's, let's see what God is calling us to be and what, he's, what he is working in us as his people. Unity of mind. It's one word in the Greek, harmoniousness. You could say a harmoniousness. It's not just having intellectual agreement, though that is part of it. It's not just agreeing on, on, on doctrines, though that's, critically, that's critical, but it, it's, it's more than that. It's having a common mindset, a common way of seeing the world, and a common vision, a, a common goal, a common purpose. If you think about a sports team, that captures it. That we, we know that, that if, um, effective sports teams need to have this one-mindedness. Everybody's got to be going in the same direction. Everybody's got to be doing the same thing. Everybody's got to be participating in their own unique way. Everyone's not the quarterback. Everybody has a different role to play. But they all have to do it together with one mind and with the same commitment. You can't have, you can't have uh, several of the guys hitting the weight room and the, West, the rest of the guys hitting McDonald's. And it's not going to work that way. Everybody's got to be on board. Everybody's got to be going in the same direction. Unity of mind. Unity of purpose. This is a big deal in the church. You find this uh, throughout the, um, the epistles. Um, but it, it, it goes back, of course, to our Lord Jesus himself. I'd like you to take your Bible and go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. We're going to look at verses 20 through 23. John 17, verse 20 and 23. Jesus is praying as he, before he goes to the cross. Notice he says, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they may be sanctified in truth. That's Jesus' heart. And then he says, I do not ask, verse 20, for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Notice twice in that short portion, Jesus points to the unity of the church as a necessary evidence and testimony to the facts of the gospel. Um, I pray that they might be one so that the world may believe that you've sent me. You cannot be talking about a Jesus who gave his life for sinners and we belong to him and we love Jesus, we just don't like each other. It's not going to work. Uh, he says it the second time, so that the world may see that you uh, are in me and that you've sent me. 
Uh, the, the, the unity of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ is critical for the witness of the gospel. Uh, I read a book a long time ago by, by uh, Heinz. He says, just as the, the church is a sign of the kingdom, so it has to erect signs. And the unity of the people in Christ, transcending the natural boundaries of language, culture, and custom, is one of those essential signs without which the world will not be able to believe in the God of unity. And this is what you see then in the early church. You see Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. There was a profound unity in the early church. And the apostles are eager in their letters to maintain that and to deepen it and to pursue it. Just quickly turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul is obviously writing to a church in Corinth that is just shot through with divisions. People are following different leaders. People are, uh, they're not paying attention to each other. They're allowing gross sin to take place. And so Paul already now, uh, he's seen the church allow sin to break apart its unity. And so chapter 1, verse 10, notice what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That, in, in other words, that you be united in mind and thought, the way you think about things, the way you perceive and pursue things. In Ephesians chapter 4, 23, he'll say, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Friends, this matters. And there's always going to be temptations in the church to divide, to break down, to separate, to, to allow cliques and parties and divisions in the body. It, and it'll, sometimes it'll even seem to make sense. It'll just kind of be the way it is. Um, there's something we always have, we've got to be fighting against. We, don't, we can't allow for those sorts of um, divisions in the body. We're not always going to agree on everything, but our hearts can be united. Our, our, our minds can be united about our purpose, why we're here, what we're trying to do. You see, the, 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 the deep unity is not, is, it's more than just intellectual. We could all agree on all the doctrines and yet have severely fragmented relationships. So how do, we, how do we pursue this? Well, let's have our eyes open. Are there people that you simply never talk to in the body? Could, could you just make a mental note of that and maybe invite those folks over? Do you note that there's people who just seem to be constantly on the margins? Would you mind maybe reaching out to them? Have you heard that someone feels um, marginalized? Someone feels maybe um, that, that they don't fit in here because, and the because could be whatever. That, that's a person that needs you to, to, to go and talk to them, to sit down and, and listen and, and uh, to invite them in. So it's going to be a heart issue. It's also going to be a word issue. No, remember, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. If, if there's something we disagree on, we can open our Bibles. That's the beautiful thing about being a Christian. And we can, we can see what the text says. And we can engage in that dialogue, listening to each other and examining the Scriptures. But fundamentally, it's going to come from our Lord Jesus. It's going to come from Jesus. 
Have this mind among yourself, Paul says in Philippians 2. This mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself. That's the mind. It's the mind of if we bear the name of Christ, then pride just doesn't have a place. Humility, as we, as we follow Christ, as we take on the mind of Christ, that's where unity is going to happen. That, because it, it comes, humility spawns that sort of unity. Humility is willing to bear with and forgive and to, to love and to reach out and to pursue unity. It matters. And brothers and sisters, let's not just assume that, we're, that uh, everything's fine here. There are relationships in this body that I don't, I'm sure that I don't know about that, that have, been, have been wounded, that have been broken down. We need to be prayerfully concerned about how do we, how do we reach for each other. A sympathy Genuine care and concern, mercy that moves us to actually do something, weeping with those who weep, mourning with those who mourn. When I was at the hospital this last Friday, and um, they were working hard to save Lloyd's life, and then the word came back that he, he'd passed, and um, one of the pastors from Providence CRC uh, was, was standing there, and, and I, I said to him, you know, there's a sense of helplessness, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing you can do. And he very wisely said, uh, no, nothing but cry. Um, and he was crying. And that's, that's what Peter's talking about. Uh, that kind of sympathy where we, we, we genuinely care. It's not put on. It's not, um, it's not fake. And it's the real deal. We know it's the real deal because it, it will it'll move towards a person. It, it'll, it'll sacrifice for a person. It genuinely cares about the hurt, about the trial, about the surgery, whatever it might be. It genuinely cares. And, and I, I love hearing stories of people when they, when they say, boy, it's been hard, but the church has been so great. The church has really surrounded us. The church has been such a help. I can't imagine how people get through with, without the church. That's exactly what we ought to hear. Let's continue to go deep in this. A genuine concern and care for each other. Brotherly love, a sense that we belong to each other. The adopted children of God our Father in heaven. We've got the same Lord, same spirit, same calling, same inheritance. We have more in common than uh, any unbeliever has with their family. We have more in common than, do you realize that you have more in common with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Christ than you do with unsaved family members. No matter how close you might be to them, it's not as close as you are with a brother and sister in Christ. It struck me again just being at the hospital and, and the, the Christians there, I, did, I don't even know many of them, that, um, and yet there's a, there's a fellowship, and you know this if you've met believers maybe anywhere in the world. Uh, let, let's pursue this brotherly love for each other. Let's delight in it. Tender hearts and humble minds. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, Paul says in Ephesians 4. That means that, that um, I'm not just pretending to care or, or to, um, to serve you, but, but there's, there's a, a tender heart behind it, tender-hearted. Out of the heart come the issues of life. Out of the heart the mouth speaks. Have you ever said something to, uh, to someone, maybe something to encourage them, but you, you, you realize in your heart... I don't think I really mean that. Um, I have that. Right? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say encouraging nice things. And, and I want to say encouraging and nice things. And yet, honestly, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll say something. I realize that. I don't think my heart was there. 
And, and you're saying, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> All right, I understand. But that's what he's saying. It's a tender heart. It's the real deal. That's what the gospel can do to us. It's a, it's a fruit of true grace and God's work in our life. And, and so the, the evidence now that, that this is actually happening within us is going to be seen in how we, re, we respond when we're wrong. Peter immediately goes to verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This is a Christian's calling. Do you have any sense how hard this is? Notice what Peter does not say. He does not say, um, do not repay evil for evil, but on the contrary, bite your tongue. That's what my mother said. If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. That's not what Peter says. Peter says that when your spouse says something unkind, when your coworker does something hurtful, when the person, person that's driving behind you on the road won't let you merge over, even though you have your blinker on and, uh, and the Panera entrance is coming up and you desperately need a cup of coffee and, uh, and they don't let you over and you miss the entrance. Not, not, there's nothing autobiographical in that, but if that were to happen to you, as it happened to me this past week, I was angry. I was, I was really angry. And then I had to come back to the office and work on this sermon. Which is what the word does, doesn't it? Just chips away at our life. See, Peter doesn't say bite your tongue. If we can consider that a moral victory. Uh, but Peter says, no, uh, bless. Say something encouraging. Something helpful. Something that blesses. I mean, are you hearing this? And this is not a random thought of Peter. It's just kind of an odd idea he has about these kinds of things. This is the uniform testimony we find in the New Testament. It's part of the apostolic. You find it in the Old as well. That's why he quotes from Psalm 34. This is, this is the biblical testimony. Jesus says, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is otherworldly. This is, this is unbelievable. This is not what we are uh, naturally equipped to do. We, again, can pride ourselves on just holding our tongue, but Peter says, use your tongue. Use it to bless. And he says, to this you were called. This is not, this is not just something for super-Christians. The you here is plural, it's universal, it's for all of you. To this you were called. It's your job description. And it's a key part, you see, of, of our witness in the world. And that's why it comes up. Remember, the church is being reviled. The church is being accused. Evil is being done to them. For instance, you have Paul and Silas. You remember the story. Falsely accused of uh, trying to raise a rebellion, get a riot going against uh, the governors. And so they're... Whip, beaten, thrown into the Philippian jail. All of it is a lie. It's all unjust. All of it a violation of their rights as Roman citizens. But when they're in the jail, they're not, you know, speaking threats to the officials. Just wait until we get in touch with our lawyers. 
We are Roman citizens. We've been wronged. You are going to pay for this. You are going to be so sorry you ever saw my face. Some of us would want to do that. I would want to do that. I have rights. I have rights that prevent just this kind of behavior. But that's not what happened. What did, what did they do? You notice, you know the story? They never mention their rights until they're brought out. Until God has done his miraculous work. The next day. And even then they say, you guys want to think this over. Um, we're Roman citizens. Um, they're not, what are they doing in the jail? They're singing. They're proclaiming the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so they're singing psalms of praise. They're extolling the virtues of their God. They're in the stocks, in the prison. And, and then the earthquake happens. And the Roman guard is ready to kill himself. And, and Paul refrains and says, no, we're all here. And the man comes. This, this beast of a man. who you know, you're, He's a Roman guard and a prisoner guard. And, and, and these are not nice people. And he comes trembling, the text says, and says, what must I do to be saved? Who told him he needed to be saved? Nobody told him he needed to be saved. He could hear it in the songs. That there was something about these two men he'd never, ever seen before in his entire life. And the songs that they sang about their God and their Father and, 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 and the, the reality of their joy even in this treatment he'd never seen it it was so beautiful it was so convicting it revealed how empty he was and it appealed to his lost soul and he he begged them tell me what i need to be what i need to do to be saved and they told him and he was saved you see friends the world doesn't expect blessing in the face of reviling in the face of cursing it's one of the most powerful testimonies we we have and peter says to this you were called that you might inherit a blessing. There's a blessing attached to it. Peter's not saying to this you were called so that you might merit a blessing. Jesus merited all the blessings. But the promise of the inheritance is connected to the calling of blessing and loving with this gospel grace. There's a condition of sorts attached to it. The, the inheritance is a blessing, blessing freely given by grace but it is given to those who are under the reign of grace, not those who simply mouth the words. Those who are experiencing the power of, of the grace of God. Not just those who, who can nod towards it, say they believe it. See, true faith, right? We're saved by true faith, but true faith is never alone. It's, it's accompanied by, by a, the work of God in, the, in a person's heart. And that's why as we look at this, we, we need to be saying, Lord, I want to be that kind of person. You can't just look at this and say, well, that's just not me. I know it's not you. It's not me either. Not by nature. The question is, this is, this is what a Christian is to look like. This is what God intends to do in our life. Is that good news to you? Are you excited about that? Do you long for that? wonderful you see then pray for it pursue it if you're sort of chill to it cold to it well that's just not my personality type then then friend you need to be asking questions it's not my personality type but it's desperately what i want to be and i believe that god is able to do it 
The, the, the critical thing is that we see it as a good thing, as a, as a desirable thing, and, then, and, and something that's possible as we abide in Jesus Christ. How do, how do you become this kind of a person? You abide in Jesus Christ. Do you know in this little letter, Paul refers to Christ 20 times in five chapters. Every, he's just weaving Christ through every bit of it. If you just look a little bit further on in 3 verse 15, we'll get to that, Lord willing, next time. But notice what he says. Um, I'm in the wrong book. That's why it's not coming to me. 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That's how you live this life. Verse 18. Christ also suffered for sins, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Gospel truth. 4 verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. It's just Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's how we live the Christian life. Jesus every day, Jesus and, and, and the reality of who he is and the reality of what he's done and the reality of what he's called us to and the reality of what he promises to us in a, in a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is the essence of the Christian life. Obviously, uh, if you just flip back, we'll wrap with this. If you look at chapter 2, I think verses 21 through 25 really are the core in many ways of the entire letter. And let's just remind ourselves of it again as we get ready to go out into another week. He's talking here again about suffering unjustly. And notice he says, verse 21, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were strained like sheep but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, friends, Christ isn't just, um, not our, just, just our Savior in some sort of uh, vague way. He, he's the example that, uh, that we're to follow, and he's the power that enables us. He's the engine under the hood. He's, he's the fountainhead behind the stream. He's, he's the, the artist hand behind the paintbrush. And this is why, you see, Jesus says, abide in me. Apart from me, you can't do anything. Do you know that from experience? I know that from experience. When I'm, when I'm not abiding in Christ, none of this is possible. When I abide in Christ, when I take time to open my Bible and just spend some time reading and some time in prayer, some time in confession and praise, when, I, when I'm listening to things that, that feed my soul, when I'm in, abiding in Jesus that way, amazingly, these things start to make sense. And, and you find there's things that God is doing and creating inside of you thankfulness and, and, and joy and confidence and, and fruitfulness and genuine, genuine care for people. As we abide in Jesus, we are enabled to do what is truly, natively, humanly, utterly impossible, but not in Christ. I can do all things, Paul says, through Christ who strengthens me. And so, friends, we've got another week ahead, and it's a real week. The things that we do and say are recorded for eternity. And this week we have a calling on our life. And we leave this place as Christians. 
Not just people with a set of things to believe, but people with a life to live by the power of God. People who are promised the grace and strength that comes from God. And if it sounds like Peter is calling you to a mountain you can't climb, that's because he is. You can't climb it in your strength. But if, if you're abiding in Jesus Christ, you can. If you're entrusting yourself to him who judges justly, you can. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your work relationship, when you entrust yourself to him who judges justly, so it's not about getting your way or maintaining your rights, when you trust yourself to the shepherd and guardian of your soul, you're going to find you can respond in a different way. In Acts chapter 7, we have a story of a man who was being stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. The man was bleeding profusely. His body was slowly being pounded to death. But he didn't protest. He didn't uh, declare his innocence. He didn't claim his rights. He didn't denounce his tormentors. Do you remember what he did? He blessed them. He prayed for them. Falling to his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And you know the story, there's a young man there, wasn't there, who was participating, who was giving his affirmation to everything that was happening. He wasn't throwing the stones, but he was holding the coats of those who did. He was very happy about what was taking place. His name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And who knows how God's answer to that prayer fit into Saul of Tarsus becoming the great apostle of the early church. But surely Paul never forgot that scene, never forgot those words. Friends, who knows what God could do with your words of blessing this week. Blessing in the lives of your kids, blessing in the lives of your friends, blessing in the lives of your, to your spouse, blessing to those at work, blessing to those in the grocery store, blessing to those who cut you off on the expressway or don't let you into Panera. Blessings, real blessings, prayers, words that come from our mouth that God could use to do beautiful things for his name's sake. May God grant it, amen. Father in heaven, you know us and thank you that you love us and thank you that you are making us new. Father, we... We have a hard time blessing those who curse us. And yet you promise by the power of the gospel that that can happen. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would do that. I pray, Lord, that our pride, our quickness to claim our rights, our quickness to protect ourselves, the ease with which we justify our unkind words or maybe just our silent mouth, Lord, forgive us for all of it. That's not what you called us to do. You called us to bless. And so, Lord, we, we, we confess our, our pride. We confess our, the arrogance, really, to stand before a cross and insist on our rights and our way. I pray, Lord God, that the reality of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us and what he promises to us the reality of his care for us, his guardianship, the reality of the sovereignty of our Father in heaven. Lord, I pray that these things would give us peace, make us people of peace.
that we would speak words of peace and blessing. Lord, we ask this because we want to be people who glorify you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close our service.